you have your Bibles in Matthew verse 25, or chapter 25, verse 35 through 40. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, I assure you, whatever you did for the least of these, my brothers, of mine, you did for me. Father, we thank you this morning for your son's love and his grace. Father, for his willingness to do your will. Father, to come down and die on a cross to give us a hope, a future, and eternal life, Lord. Father, we thank you so much for those that are here today. Ask that you be with those that are traveling. Father, watch over them. Put your protective hedge around them, Lord. And Father, we just ask this morning that, Father, your word would be lifted up. That, Father, nothing that has been sung, nothing has been said will give glory to anyone here, but, Father, bring all the glory and give it all to you. Father, we ask this in thy son's holy name. Amen. Now, isn't it amazing how God can tie things together? I I had no idea they were going to sing that as a special this morning. Now, I had told them a theme that we were going to have, but... Had no idea that was going to be their song. This morning, I want to ask you, what is valuable to you? What do you hold of value in your life? Now, there's things that I hold of value in my life that just, there's nothing can take it away. My grandchildren are valuable to me. There's nothing like those five little grandkids I've got. Four grandsons and a granddaughter. And they can come up with some of the most wonderful sayings, the most, I mean, just out of the blue come up and say something. One year I had had stopped at a little old convenience store and I'd bought these little pops. You know, the ones that come and sawdust like they're going to blow a bank up and you little paper and you throw them down and they snap. I bought some for my oldest grandson, gave them to him. He played with them, made a big mess with them on the back deck and wherever else. And as he started to leave, he ran up and gave me a hug and said, you're the best papa ever for 25 cents a box. But to him, it was the whole world. It was valuable. So what do we hold valuable in our lives today? What difference does it make? Is it something that man tells us is valuable? Is it a standard that men go by and says this is more valuable than anything else? Or is there something that we deem on our own? Or is it something that God ordains is valuable. This morning I want us to take a look at, and the reason I said, isn't it amazing how the song just ties in. The first line of that, 
I'd rather have than the silver or gold. Now, I'm going to ask some of y'all to tell your age this morning. Anybody in here born before 1929? Anybody? Good. You can't disclose what, or you can't say that what I'm going to tell you is not true. But it is true. In 1929, the United States Treasury decided to make a change. Up until that point, all the bills were a different size and a different color. And they were minted across different places of the United States. So it was very easy for someone to counterfeit bills and get them out into circulation. But in 1929... The U.S. Treasury got together and said, no, we're going to stop all this. Everything is now going to be the same size. Now, this morning, this is a dollar bill. And this is a hundred dollar bill. What's the difference in them? Ninety-nine. But if you hold the dollar bill over the top of the hundred, what's the difference? They're the same size. And in 1929, they found a paper that they wanted to use, and so they're printed basically on the same paper. They may have different writings on them, different pictures on the front, but they're basically the same thing. Do you know why we use green ink on the money? The Treasury Department could buy it in bulk as a supply because nobody else wanted the green ink. And it was cheaper. And the reason that they are the same size is now they could take and put 12 on the plate and press it onto the paper with the ink and get 12 uniform size bills, or notes. They're not called bills, they're called notes in the Treasury Department. And they could get 12 of them out, flip it over the paper, run it across on the back side, and do the same thing, and have 12 uniformly sized bills, or notes. But why is the same paper, the same ink, just some different wording, why is there a difference? Because the Treasury Department said this one because of the writing and the picture on it is more valuable than this one. If you really get down to it, they're both paper and ink. But because men said this one with a couple extra numbers on it and a little bit different writing makes it more valuable than this one. Do we do that in our churches today? Do we do that in our evaluation of other people? Do we take the way they look, the way they act, the way they talk, the way they dress, and place a value greater on one over the other? I want to tell you a little story this morning. This is a true story. It happened a few years ago. 
It was on Easter Sunday morning. And there was a lady. Her name was what I'll call Rachel today. It's not her name, but I will, I will call her Rachel. She was a good lady, a faithful lady, dependable, reliable, never missed a Sunday. And she loved working with kids. Rachel, like myself, was a larger lady. Rachel didn't place a great importance on an outward appearance. She didn't dress up and put on airs. She was just herself. And every Sunday morning, she was there to work with the children. You know, the, the little, I call them terrorists, that they would send downstairs because the parents didn't want to keep them up with them. You know, the little kids that it, it, we, we don't ever tell them no. The little kids that, you know, if I want it, I get it because I want it. Well, she was there every Sunday to work with these children. She would sing with them. She would dance with them. She would play out songs and, and do the movements with them. You know, the, the little songs, you know, like Father Abraham, she would do that. And in every move I make, I make in you. She done all the moves. And she was so involved in those kids. She kept them entertained. And she educated them about the love of God through His Son. Well, Easter Sunday morning rolls around. Easter Sunday, the biggest visiting day of the year for a church. And they had scheduled three services for the church that Sunday morning. And Rachel shows up, ready to leave the children, ready to go and everything. Well, it's Easter. And what are you supposed to do on Easter? You're supposed to dress up in the most miserable outfit you can find with the tightest collar you can get and show up, and it's Easter. You've got to present the very best. There should be nothing that would make anybody look at our church and the image that we're projecting on Easter and it not be the very best that there was. Rachel walks in the back door, the bottom downstairs, walks in just in time to go in and start leading the children. It was unusual for her to be late. Rachel had on a pair of sweatpants, some stained up tennis shoes, a t-shirt that looked like she had slept in it, and her hair just pulled back in a ponytail. But really and truly, that ponytail looked more like a fox's tail because it was just all everywhere. And she come in and she got the kids in there and first service, she did a fantastic job. Between the services, she wandered upstairs and she got a cup of coffee and a donut because now you have to have Starbucks and a Krispy Kreme in your lobby before you can be called a church. And she got that and she went back downstairs and the second group come in and she led them. And then the third group come in and she led them. And then she left. Monday morning, I want to read to you the letter that was hand-delivered to the pastor and the staff. 
on Sunday, Easter Sunday of all Sundays, there was a person working in our children's department, and we had visiting children and people. The appearance was unacceptable. The dress displayed very little to no planning and and lack of education. And her unkempt appearance showed a lack of education in working with children of this caliber. The immediate dismissal of the children's minister and this lady from volunteering is the only acceptable solution for these issues. If we're going to draw in the desired white-collar crowd that we need to assure our weekly offering needs are met and exceeded, then we must raise the level of volunteer to prevent this from happening again and to assure the best image for the church is represented. That was the letter that was hand-delivered by a group of young ladies, young mothers, who had friends they had invited for that Sunday. Well, as Paul Harvey used to say, here's the rest of the story. You see, Rachel's father had been hospitalized earlier that week. They couldn't treat his ailment or his ailments there locally, so they had transferred him three hours away to another hospital to give him the care that he needed, the very best care that there could be. And so at 1 o'clock in the morning, Easter Sunday morning, she overheard the nurses talking about how they were going to get their kids ready when they got home and they could make it to the last service and how these new outfits and everything were going to be. And it dawned on her she hadn't made arrangements to have anybody take her place. So after prayer and and talking with the nurses who assured her that if any change in her father's condition was found, or came about, they would immediately call her, and they would not leave his side until she got back. She ran downstairs, she got in her car to start the long three-hour drive by herself. And as she started driving, she stopped once for gas, and then almost at daybreak, she stopped for a meal. The first meal she had had in two days a biscuit wrapped in paper as she drove down the road. She got to the church just in time to find a hairbrush in her purse and run it through her hair and put it up in a ponytail and come inside. And as she came inside, she left all of her troubles and her worries outside. She came inside that morning knowing it was Easter Sunday morning the most important day of the year for a church. And she wanted those children to know that God loved them and His Son rose from the dead. So she came in with a smile on her face and as energetic as she could be, and she for three services led those children in songs and in worship and telling them stories of how God loved them. But nobody, nobody asked her 
if everything was okay. Nobody said, how's your father? Nobody wanted to know how her life was. All they wanted was the image to be projected forward. That image that had to be the most important thing that day. Not the love of God. Not the risen Savior. Not the salvation. Not the restoration. The redemption. But the image that had to go forward. The children's minister was let go. But if you look back at the rest of the story, for two months, she begged and pleaded with people, knowing Easter was coming. We need volunteers. We've got to have help. Make sure that we've got enough people here. And her cries fell on deaf ears. That's not our area. Our area is to bring the children down and you make everything look great. With no help. Her first job out of college as a church youth children's minister and they threw her to the wolves. They didn't want to help. That was below them. Don't go downstairs and help with children. You're above that. But for two months, she begged, please give me help. But no, it was beneath them. It was beneath them to serve and to stay with children. They needed to be upstairs with their new outfit that they bought at the black and white store at the Pinnacle Hills Mall. They needed to be upstairs where... They could see their Louis Vuitton tie and shoes that matched their new suit that they had bought at Dillard's. But they couldn't. It was Easter. So they had to present the very best of it there was. But the image had to be the most important thing. Karen's father did recover somewhat, was never able to go back to his home. But as soon as the third service was over, she got in her car and she drove back the three hours to sit at her father's side, to be there with him. Stained tennis shoes, crumpled up sweatpants, wrinkled up t-shirt, and her hair up in that big ponytail. And you know what? When she walked back in the door of the hospital, her father didn't care. Father had no inkling in his mind that it was Easter and she wouldn't dress to the nines. There were children that morning that heard the story of God. The least of these, the very least of these were told that God loved them. They didn't know why they had to get up that morning and put on those uncomfortable shoes. They didn't know why they had to put on that shirt and button that top collar and put that little fake bow tie on and and don't wiggle and don't move and stand still and 
They didn't understand that. And they thought this lady that come in who wasn't dressed like them was absolutely fantastic because she loved them. What is valuable to you today? Is it the image or is it God? Is it the appearance or is it love? Is it what the world thinks about us or is it about what heaven looks down and sees? There was a young man several years ago lived just across the state line and and over a city that was taught that when you go out, you present your very best. If it was nothing but going and getting a hamburger and fries and a milkshake, you wore a suit and tie. You presented the best that there was. Now, I'm old enough that I can remember when my parents would go to watch our ball games, they dressed up. They wore slacks and they wore shirts and sometimes daddy would wear a tie and mother would rush home from work and change from her uh, Walmart apparel to, a, to dress her up clothes and they would go to the ball games. Anytime you went out, you, you dressed. This young man had, had been raised that you dress up for everything. Because the image that you presented represented your family. Represented what the family should be. And what the family had. Now whether that meant that you walked over someone to get there didn't matter. That if you turned your nose up and you looked at them in a funny way because they weren't dressed like you, that didn't matter. The important thing was the image you projected out. This morning, I wonder how many of our churches across the United States are more worried and concerned about the image of the church than they are about the salvation of the people inside. There are churches today that have a commitment room We don't do things out front. Somebody might show emotion and that might upset somebody else. So we'll escort them off to a commitment room and give them a card and say, fill this card out and and we'll put a note in the bulletin that you've made a commitment to this body. We've got churches now that will have a little room off to the side and if you feel like that God is calling you to come down and accept Him as your Lord and Savior, we will escort you off because we don't need no ugly crying in the altars. We don't do that anymore because it upsets the image. And it might not please someone. They might be offended by that. This morning, I want to know, in your life and in your heart, what's valuable to you? 
Is it the least of these? Is it someone that's hungry that you could feed? Is it somebody that is thirsty that you could give a drink of water to? Is it somebody that's naked and needs clothes? And these are not just spiritual needs. They're sometimes physical needs. There are times when people are so thirsty for the Word of God and they're so hungry to hear it, but we're more worried about the image that they see than giving them what they need. Sometimes there's a physical need that needs to be met. I had a young man that I used to go to church with, and he said, you know, if a man has been laid off, he's got six kids and one of them's sick and his wife is trying to take care of them and they don't have any groceries in the house and you knock on the door and tell them God loves them and God cares about them and there's not an ounce of food in the house, they're not going to listen to you. You might need to stop at the grocery store and buy some food and take over there and say, my God loves you and wants to help you. No, we've got this image that if I'm seen there, I might be associated with them. And I can't do that. It'll bring me down. Jim Cimbala, the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, tells a story on himself. And again, it was Easter Sunday morning. They had had three services that morning, that day. The choir had sung. They had sung their hearts out. He had preached three sermons that morning and had just preached to us. He was just drenching wet with sweat and he had told the congregation how much God loved them and how much God cared about them. And the piano player was just sitting softly playing as the altars were still full and people were there. And he said he'd come over to the edge of the stage and he just sat down. And he just let his feet dangle off for just a little bit. Just to relax. He said while he was sitting there, he looked up and about five, six rows back in the middle, there stood a man. A man who had a hat in his hand that just looked awful. It was kind of torn and ragged and tattered and He said as he looked him up and down, his clothes were just torn and nasty and his hair was matted together and he he just just didn't look very well dressed to be in church. He said he sat there for a minute and he finally looked up and they made eye contact and in the eye contact, the man was like wanting to know, can I come down? Is it okay if I come down to where you're at? And Jim said he nodded his head and made a motion for the man to come. He said at that point he decided to stand up and he said he stands up on the floor and he looks up and the guy gets about 10 or 15 feet from him and the odor just overwhelmed him. The odor of feces and urine and tobacco and alcohol, dirty rainwater that had dried body odor, mix it all together, stir gently and let it simmer on a pot. That was the odor that hit him that morning. He said it was so strong from 10 or 15 feet away, the guy stopped and looked at him 
And he said he turned his head to get a breath. And the guy came on down. Well, they had set up policies for the church. They had policies. They had beggars that would actually come in and panhandle in the church begging for money to support their habits. And they wouldn't give them money in the church. They had these programs they would help get these people to and it would help them out. So the policy was to help them find somebody else to go to. And the program was don't help them here, get them somewhere else. But it was Easter. And he was tired, the staff was tired, and he knew it was wrong. But he reached in his pocket and he pulled out some money. And he stood there with some money in his hand and he said, what's your name? And the guy said, my name's Billy. He said he had to lean back and take another breath and he turned back around and said, where'd you sleep last night? An old abandoned truck. Why didn't you go to a shelter? They're too dangerous. I almost got killed the last two times I was in a shelter. In the truck, I can lock the door and I'm safe. It's okay. He goes, we normally don't do this, but uh, it's late. If you'll come back tomorrow, we'll, 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 we'll talk to you. And, but, but, but as for today, you know, here, here's some money. Just, just take some money. And he said the beggar looked at him and started to cry. He said as he reached out with his hand, he said the beggar took and pushed his hand down. He said, I don't want your money. I want to know this Jesus. Do you think this Jesus will come into my heart? And he said at that point, he saw a beggar in need of salvation, but he saw a minister in need of prayer. He had let the day, the image, and everything become more important than the salvation of that man. The man that had passed by, they had passed by in the alley, right outside the church, that had been laying out there in his own urine and heard the music that morning and was drawn in and had heard the Word of God and was wanting that Word in his heart. But the image was more important. Jim said he reached out for the man. And he took him and he held him in his arms. And he said all of a sudden it came to him. That smell. That smell that was so foul that it would gag you. That smell that was so foul that that it defiled everything he had ever smelled before. And he said it came to him. That's what God's son died for. Was that smell. That's what God's Son came down to this earth, lived His life, and died on a cross for that smell. That smell that you and I smelled like to God because we had no salvation. We had no hope. And He said as He hugged Him up and He told Him the story, this is how you accept Christ. And he said, all of a sudden, that smell changed. 
to the sweetest perfume he had ever smelled in his life. It changed. Not because they had cleaned up right there at the altar. He still had the same clothes. He still had the same matted hair. He still had the same thing all over him. But his heart changed. And so did Jim's. So when he reached out and he hugged that man up, he no longer had the smell of the world, but he had the smell of God and the love of Jesus in his heart and his life. Jim said they took the man in, they gave him a job, they helped him get cleaned up, and he said they thought he was in his 60s and found out he was only in his 30s. But the image that morning, if God had not so strongly dealt with that man, he could have very easily just took the money from Jim's hand and walked out. Jim said, when he pushed my hand down and said, I don't need the money, I need that God in my life. This morning, I wonder, what do you have in your life? What do you consider valuable? Is it the least of these? There's a young girl in Jane, Missouri, sits on a rock at Walmart behind the McDonald's, and every time you come out, for 10 years, she has been 15. Well, she recently changed. She was 15. Now she's 16. Hungry, alone, scared, and pregnant. Every time you go out of that parking lot, there she sits. She's been 15 for eight years. I think she changed two years ago. Now she's 16. But she's still alone, hungry, and pregnant. Do you stop and give money? Do you buy food and take back to her? How many homeless people are within 20 miles of this church? How many unsaved people live within 50 yards of your front door? How many people in your own family don't know Jesus Christ is a personal Savior? Jesus said, when you've done it unto the least of these, when they were thirsty and hungry, Did you feed them and give them drink? Did you tell them about me? Did you break my body and give them my blood and tell them I shed that for them and I broke it down for them? When they were naked and afraid, when they had nothing to cover up their past, their sins, everything they had ever done wrong, did you share how the blood of Jesus will cover their lives and make them whole again? Did you share that with them? Did you do it unto the least of these? A few weeks ago, I I went to Brittany one Wednesday night, and I I had heard this song, and I said, look, I want you to sing this. And I started to play it, and she goes, I'm already working on it. I've already started on that. And this morning, I want you to listen to the words of, We're going to pray and Brittany's going to come sing. I want you to hear the words of that song. 
But I want you to look at your life this morning. What smell does the world smell when they pass by you? Do they smell a smell that is pure love? Does it smell so sweet it draws them in? Or is it that smell that is so filthy and wretched that the world thinks we should have? What smell do you have radiating from you today? Is it the smell that when God looks down and says, there's one of my children doing what I want them to do? Or is it that awful smell when God looks and goes, why are my children not doing what they need to do? Is it that smell that God looks down and says, look, they're sharing with the lost and dying. They're sharing with those that are in need. They're helping the single mom. They're they're grooming the single fathers. They're working on the elderly with love and distinction and raising them up. Or do they look down and smell the most horrible smell because they're rejecting because their image might be tarnished. This morning, what do you hold valuable? What man has told you was valuable or what God said truly is. Father, this morning as we come to you, Lord, we thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy. Father, we thank you so much for that, Father, that cleansing spirit that your son, Father, had for this lost and dying world. Father, we thank you so much that we too can share that. Father, that we can give out hope and peace. And Father, we don't have to tarnish an image. We don't have to polish one up and we don't have to worry about what the world thinks. But Father, if we'll, we'll do the image of, that reflects your Son, Father, if we'll give off that image that reflects the love and the grace and the mercy, Father, that can clean up Fill in, patch up, and make whole, Lord. And Father, as the words of this song say, there's nothing too dirty that you can't make worthy. Father, this morning we ask that you have us examine our hearts. Father, see where we stand and where we're at. Father, are we doing the least for the least of these? Are we making ourselves look good? Father, are we, are we protecting an image or building a church? Father, are we growing spiritual leaders and future, Father, future missionaries and future teachers and future singers and future, Father, people that love God? Are we just, Father, just putting people in a seat this morning Lord I ask that you'll help us examine our hearts and our lives and Father whatever it is that we need to do this morning Lord Father if it's join this church if it's to get saved it's to be baptized Father whatever the need is today God we just pray and ask that you would give us that strength to take one step out Lord and be yours and be with you
Father, we ask this in thy holy, sweet name. Amen.